you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! <laughs> Great to have you with us. It's your exclusive Liverpool podcast with the Athletics. So, was it a penalty? Well, not a penalty. We'll talk about that Andy Robertson kick that denied Liverpool two points. At Brighton, uh, player welfare is on the agenda again. Is there sympathy for Jurgen Klopp's views out there? And we'll look at the contract situation surrounding Genie Wijnaldum. Just uh, some of the topics on the red agenda today. And we will mention Marine at the very end. Simon's very desperate to get into their success in the FA Cup. Right, to celebrate um, Black Friday, we're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just a pound a month for a full 12 months. You can cancel at any time. So you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including our podcasts ad-free. We'll bring you unrivaled coverage of Liverpool and the Premier League for an unbeatable price. And we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. The offer runs up to the 4th of December. So don't miss out. There's some fantastical art. There's some fantastic articles on there. Go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. And pay just a pound a month for 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers only. Well, James Pearson and Simon Hughes are here today with myself, Steve Hothersall. Uh, Simon, hold back. We will get to Marine. <laughs> I know it was the, the highlight of your footballing weekend, wasn't it? Well, it's better than talking about VAR, Steve. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, we'll start with injuries instead. Actually, one of our colleagues, um, Paul Gorst from the Echo, summed it up. He said, football in 2020, empty stadiums, muscle injuries and VAR. He, he's, he's not too far wrong, is he, Si? Seems like we're talking about VAR every week um, and injuries. Yeah, I mean, the, the game's obviously been dominated by what happens afterwards, but followed a, a, quite a similar pattern for Liverpool in terms of the things that went wrong. I mean, I think they're actually in quite a good position to be second in the league, given things haven't really gone for them at all this season. You, you forget, of course, what happened against Sheffield United a few weeks ago where... They had a penalty given against them, which I don't think was a foul, and B was outside the box, but they still managed to win that game. So it's a season so far that, that not much has gone right, but they're still in a relatively healthy position. But I do think that with with all the injuries that they've got, it's it's really gonna hurt them in this period coming up because of the because of the flow of games. And um if they pick up any more, you know, it, it's 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 really gonna harm the results, I think. Right, James, you were at Brighton. Let's talk about that post-match TV interview that, that Jurgen Klopp gave. He fired one or two volleys at the, the TV companies over scheduling. It's it's led to a lot of conversation as to how how right he is with what he said. What was your immediate reaction? Do you know, what? I, I, I quite enjoyed the exchange, to be honest. I think it was quite refreshing to have a, a post-match interview that was, was so lively and... And uh, I think I think they both gave as good as they got. I know, you know, these days football can be so tribal that you know I saw some people, you know, accusing Des Kelly of being out of order with his line of questioning, and I I, I didn't have a problem with anything he said. I thought, you know, the 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 exchange between them underlined there is no easy answer here, and and you know I can fully understand Klopp's frustration. You know, when you concede a late goal like that in a controversial fashion, people will say, oh, it's sour grapes. But it's not because he's been banging this drum, not just this season, but like, you know, for a couple of years now about player welfare. You know, it's it's not just blatant self-interest. It's it's just common sense that, you know, you need to give elite athletes enough time to recover between matches. You know, and I think his point about if you play Wednesday night, you shouldn't be the 12.30 Saturday kickoff. You know, how, how can anyone argue with that? Because, you know, I spoke to a few people about what that challenge is like. And it's it's horrendous when, you know, players don't really sleep the night after a game. So, you know, fatigue is obviously a massive issue. Say last week, Liverpool played Atalanta on the Wednesday night. Thursday, it's a recovery day. They're all shattered. Um, Friday, they come in. Again, it's second day recovery. So you can't train properly. You just do set pieces, a bit of shape, tactical stuff. And then you're on a plane down to Brighton. And then because of the early kickoff, the players are getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, going for a walk and then having essentially a lunch of what, you know, pasta and, and chicken and whatever else at 9am, which obviously isn't isn't natural. So, you know, what Klopp's asking for is not it's not special treatment and he's not asking it just for Liverpool. It's for everyone that, 
you know, just don't give us the, the lunchtime kickoff. Even three o'clock or five thirty would have made a difference for Liverpool in terms of rest, recovery, nutrition and travel. Um but then on the other side, you know, I completely understand where Des Kelly's coming from when he says the clubs agree to these contracts. You know, it's not like the TV companies just do whatever they want. They they have to operate within a framework. Now, you know, the retort to that is, yeah, but the contract was signed pre-COVID, correct? And that, you know, if if the TV companies can't pick the biggest teams, which they're always going to try to do when they can, then, of course, they're going to want to be reimbursed financially. You know, I get that. And the clubs need to sit around a table and thrash this out. But the TV companies also need to ask themselves what about the product they're putting on show because you know essentially yes you might be able to pick that team but if you're not giving them enough chance to really put on a show then what does that what does that do to the product if you've got two heavily depleted teams effectively putting on a war of attrition so um yeah i i, I thought it was a I, I thought it was a lively decent exchange i didn't think Klopp i don't think it was a rant i don't think he it was a spat i just thought it was two art- well-articulated arguments from either side. The quality of that product, I think, look, we, we'd all agree longer term it will affect it. But actually, the TV companies aren't really bothered about that, are they, Simon? They, they see Liverpool, they see Manchester United. They know it will attract audience. Mm. Well, I, I think from Klopp's point of view, he he's obviously coming uh, from an angle of, uh, this word, an elite manager who wants to see his team perform to the maximum capacity whether that's enough to beat another team is is irrelevant he, but obviously i think from the tv company's point of view what they want to see really is engagement and and drama so they might not see sort of an all uh, consuming liverpool team as being important to what they're trying to put out because the potential of Liverpool fielding a, a weakened team and the challenges around that involves a certain amount of drama. So I got the impression going back two or three years ago, I remember Klopp banging on about it very fer- fer- ferociously then about his fears around the Africa Cup of Nations being played in the summer and what that would mean for, for some of his African players because just by moving it from January to, to the summer, doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really help Liverpool to some extent and it means that they weren't going to get any rest. So he's making the point that obviously next summer we've got the European Championships after a condensed season where players are actually having to play more games because of the international break. Obviously there was missed international breaks last summer and last last spring. And what's it going to mean for the European Championships as well? So his argument's always been about the line of communication between the, the TV companies, the football clubs and the football authorities isn't good enough to, to, to create what he thinks is going to be the best example of football. So in some ways, obviously opening up the discussion, you might hope might lead to greater discussions between all these different parties and, and, and get into a point which which shoots the, you know, the, the players first and foremost, because I can understand his arguments. I don't agree with everything that he said, but I can understand parts of his arguments. And unfortunately, I think in football and in, in society now, we sort of just treat everything in absolutes. There are certain things that you might disagree with Jürgen Klopp, but there are also points which I think are actually quite fair. So, you know, within this 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 mad world and the pandemic, it doesn't seem like the players have been thought about a great deal, if at all. And they were already working towards a, a very packed schedule then. Now it's being condensed into an even bigger packed schedule. So it should be within UEFA's interest to to try and talk and bring people together about this because it will affect the European Championships. There, there go, I, I would be surprised if, if that tournament, which should be a big tournament for football, really, when you think about it, after everything that's happened in this in this last 12 months, you know, people will be looking forward to that tournament, potentially with fans inside the stadiums. He's, his fears are that there aren't going to be that many, you know, there's going to be some players, big players, who might miss that tournament as well now. So I think if people can pull away from sort of the whole tribalistic arguments around football, I, I do think he is making some some valid points. And and as for the discussion with Des Kelly, I mean, uh, we were just saying before, you know, before we, we went on air about, I mean, what do people want from a from a post-match press uh, interview? I mean, it, I think with Jürgen Klopp, you don't just get... 
you know, the, the happy Jurgen Klopp when he's elated when Liverpool have won and you can see him after the match and he's, he's he's obviously engaged and passionate about the game that he's just watched. Equally, when it doesn't go his, his way or if there's something that he's annoyed about, you're going to get this sort of reaction. You know, that's the way he is. I don't think he's a person who can be particularly diplomatic over feelings that he feels are very important to the game. So, like James, I mean, I, I, I don't have a, have a problem with it. I think he... He spent a fair chunk of that press conference listening to Des Kelly as well. But um, particularly when you've just come out of a match where it hasn't worked out the way you would have wanted it to, I suppose he's going to be particularly emotional about it. But we had it the week before. Liverpool had beaten Leicester convincingly and played very well. And he chose to speak about it then as well. So I don't think it's just going to go away dependent on the result that Liverpool have. You have to hand it to Des Kelly, it's not the easiest environment to be in if you're interviewing a manager and, and emotions are, are that high. Where perhaps it felt a little bit uncomfortable was where Chris Wilder's name was brought into the conversation. And I think that, I know it's not a, it's not a rant, James, and I didn't see it as a rant, but I did feel it was, I don't know, maybe that's where I think you lose a little bit of sympathy of your Jurgen Klopp for the wider public, the generic public looking at this. And that was a little bit of mudslinging. And I know Chris Wilder did it, did it back to him as well, but is that a conversation that, that really doesn't need to be had that's not really going to help the advancement of this? I, I, again, I think it depends where you come at it from. I think I think you're right. I think some neutral football fans will have watched that and thought, well, hang on a minute, you know, why that's not right, you know, for Jurgen Klopp to be criticising Chris Wilder. But the way I saw it was it, it clearly showed how much Klopp had been irked by by Wilder's comments from from earlier on in the week. And then I think he'd been obviously been asked about it again. And it was in it was in Saturday's papers. You know, Chris Wilder had described Klopp as as selfish and a, and a world class politician, talking about how, you know, about how he was trying to drum up support for the the change to five subs when they had the the managers meeting. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't unprovoked, was it? It was very much Klopp having a having a go back, and I, I think it just to me it just underlined, you know, like how how passionate he is on this subject because you know. I, and, and you know, again, I asked him about it after the game on Saturday in the the written section of the press conference. That you know, clearly, some managers and some clubs regard this as favouring the bigger bigger teams. If we were to have five subs, that you know, it allows them to make more tactical changes and all the rest of it in a game. And and obviously, they've got the bigger, deeper squads. But you know, Klopp was saying this is not about getting an advantage in games. This is about you know, basically trying to keep players healthy. You know the you know, Liverpool have got such a huge injury list at the moment. And Klopp said, you know, ideally he would have brought off Andy Robertson with 15, 20 minutes to go. Um, but he, but he, you know, he felt like he couldn't um, because of the situation with the substitutions. And I think, you know, probably the one thing that didn't sit too easy with me was when he, I think he's, what did he say about Wilder? You know, three subs, just one point, which you probably don't need to, to kick a team like Sheffield United when they're down. Um, but, Again, you, 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 there is something there in terms of well, this three subs thing is hardly it's hardly like Sheffield United are, are flying as a result of it. And yes, they've got a smaller squad, but you know if you've got a smaller squad, then surely you can. It's even more important that you keep your players healthy, and surely being able to make more changes within a game would 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 help as well. So. Um, so yeah, there was there was plenty to pick out from that, but I, I didn't really. I think the, you know the biggest takeaway for me was how the, the shift in that in that dynamic between Klopp and Wilder, because I, I actually dug out the program from the Sheffield United game, which was what only a month ago, and Klopp was talking about you know eulogising about Chris <laughs> yeah. Wilder as a man and as a manager. He said he voted for him for manager of the season last season. Now he would have thoroughly deserved it and all this, and you think. Wow, you know that's things have changed pretty fast since then. I think it's fair to say Klopp's vote will be going elsewhere this time around. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes you you perceive them as mates, and then clearly something. <laughs> who was it? Was it Rafa and Neil Warnock? I don't think they got on very well, did they? The first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You had the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. 
I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Over the next three episodes, we will explore Neymar's 222 million euro move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, a transfer that changed the game not only because it more than doubled the world transfer record, but explain how the ripple effects made it arguably the most significant transfer in the history of the game. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via the Athletic app. Right, this is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. I'm Steve Hoversall. Alongside me, James Pearson, Simon Hughes. And let's uh, dive into the analysis of Brighton against Liverpool. Go straight to the end of the game. And Andy Robertson's uh, kick on the boot of Danny Welbeck and the decision to award a penalty. We're all just... Simon, I mean, it's so confusing now, isn't it? Who knows what a penalty is? Who knows what it isn't? And... And it really is ruining the game. Even the players are coming out and offering their opinion on that now. Mm, well, obviously, straight after the game, more or less, James Milner was pretty emphatic with his views about VAR. Um, and I, I mean, I, I've always been sceptical about it from day one. And I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I, I put a tweet up on on Saturday, and it, this relates to every single club. It's not. It's, it's certainly not through the prism of, of Liverpool, but. My concern is, is that in the long term, you know, when you get fans back into the stadium, I, I could feel it already last season. That was before more rule changes were brought in over the summer about how fans react to legitimate goals. I mean, it, it's going to mean, I, I, I find myself when I, I watch football now, even in a great goal, holding back in celebrations because you don't know what's going to happen, even if it, if it seems clearly a legitimate goal. It feels like, you know, some a player could just trodden on a microscopic ant further back the pitch and he's going to get told off and apprehended and the goal scubbed out. That's how it feels at the moment. And, you know, it feels like VAR, you know, is, is for me just, just not working in that sense. Um, I, I, I've always been of the view that people, referees, officials make mistakes just the same as footballers do. I've, on a personal level, I realise not everybody f- feels the same way. I've never really bought into the whole condemnation of officials. I just think that they make mistakes, players make mistakes, managers make mistakes. It, it's 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 human. The only sort of technological elements of, of uh, which has helped the game, I think, has been goal line technology because of how efficient it is. I think that's been an undoubted progression for the game. But I'm just totally confused by everything now. I mean, even even two days later, I'm still really not sure what to think about the the penalty with with Andy Robertson because, in in a, in the natural flow of a game, I would not have said that that was a, a penalty. Even watching it in a in a replay situation in a slow motion replay, is it enough to to warrant a foul? I'm still not absolutely sure about it. With, with the, the the sort of the rule changes and the wording that's that's new wording that's come into it, I'm, I'm not really sure who's meant to be doing what anymore. It's just lots of confusion, and I, I don't think I'm alone in in that sense. So I'd I'd rather just 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 the game was was allowed to to flow. It's not a game that that football is not a sport that that um, that looks good when it's slowed down and stopped every five minutes. I mean, when when I think back about. You know, but in the in the pre-VAR world, about referees used to get lots of criticism for stopping the game. Every, uh, you know, that they were the referees that got that got the most stick. You know, just let the game flow a bit more. And with VAR, it's it seems like a particularly a crucial moment. It's 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 hampering people's joy of of even of moments of achievement. For me, that that that's 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 not a progression. It's it's a it's a regression and. I'm not sure where that leads. I've got to say, I cover a lot of championship football and it's an absolute luxury, James. The, the game never stops. You know, the, there's none of this nonsense. What's your take on on Andy Robertson's kick? Because Welbeck stayed on his feet and then he looked around. So actually in the moment, it didn't look like a penalty. Watching the post-match interview with Peter Crouch afterwards, he said, oh yeah, it, it didn't look like a penalty, but when you watch it in slow motion, it's definitely a penalty. Was, it, was that your interpretation? I mean, do you know what my my biggest problem with it is, like the, the the inconsistencies we see every single week with how it is being used and interpreted VAR. Because at the start of the season, we were told that there was a high bar and that it was only there to overturn clear and obvious mistakes. But you know that that is not a clear and obvious mistake, is it? If you if you need to watch something over and over again in slow motion to see that 
Andy Robertson's boot flicked Welbeck's boot, then it, it's not a clear and obvious mistake. And I don't, you know, I, I didn't think it was a penalty in real time. And then, you know, you have to, and then you look at it again, you think, oh, well, yeah, maybe there's a tiny bit of contact. But then, you know, Welbeck doesn't even go down, does he, initially? Um, no. that, that's, that's, that's the issue for me. Is, is it, we so did you think it was a penalty after then? No, no, not not on the basis of uh, there's there's a tiny bit of contact. So if we're saying that every tiny bit of contact now is a penalty, then it's a penalty. But because my understanding of the rules is it's only supposed to overturn clear and obvious mistakes, that to me is not a clear and obvious mistake. Now, I've seen it likened to the one that Mo Salah got given, I think, against West Ham a few weeks back. And for me, the difference there is, for a start, there was a lot more contact because the defender swiped through the back of Salah's ankle. Now, mm. yes, Salah, like Welbeck, did 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 make a meal of it. Um, but the difference there was the referee gave a penalty initially. So then it has to be a high bar to overturn it, which clearly when you watch the replay, you think, well, the referee's given it. There's not enough there. To, you know, he clearly hasn't, you know, he, he, there is contact. So it, the decision stands. Now, to me, on... The weekend, the issue I would have was the referee has decided it's not a penalty, and then it's so minute. Is that honestly? Is that clear and obvious mistake? You know, not, not in my book. And and I think that's what drives the players absolutely nuts because you know it was telling how many Liverpool players tweeted about it and put it on Instagram on on Saturday. And you know Jordan Henderson, who um, you know usually is absolutely straight down the line, win or lose when it comes to post match interviews, was. Was, was saying about, you know, I, I need to be really careful what I say because I'll, I'll talk my way into trouble. And he said, you know, in his opinion is, you know, we'd, we'd rather play without it. Just, 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 just bin it, which, um, and I think that's the biggest problem is I, I must admit, I, I stupidly thought that VAR would, would help improve things by taking away some of the horrendously bad decisions that we've, that we'd seen, you know, the real glaring mistakes, but where we're at now, it's actually re-reffing games over and over again and killing, as Simon said before, it just kills the emotion. I mean, I, I, even when Sadio Mane headed in that, that second goal, well, what we thought was the second goal, on, you know, I, I, I tweet, you know, goal, you know, game over 2-0. And then, and then, of course, you know, within, within seconds, you're made to look like an absolute fool. Um, it just, and, and I'm sure we'll come on to Marine for Simon later, but that was one of the things I loved about sitting and watching Marine <laughs> yesterday. Just just the celebrations of that winning goal and, and the outpouring of, of joy and ecstasy without without that worry that it's, it's going to be nicked away from you by some fella sat in a hut 100 miles away. He's, he's worried about his tweet, sign when he gets a 1,000 likes for writing goal, isn't he? <laughs> uh, the, thing, the thing is, Steve, I, I think the point that needs to be made is Football is a game that's played by players and watched by fans inside the stadium. Their, their priorities should be thought about a lot more in this process, it feels. Like VAR has been brought in, A, for the benefit of the referees and no one else primarily, and the officials. So their interests are being said before anyone else. And then equally, I suppose, the, the, the armchair fan watching the, the, the games on TV... It's not doing anything for for the footballers, I, I think, and for the for the fans when they do actually set foot back inside the stadium. And that for me is a major concern because it becomes a totally different sport on, on that basis. Yeah, VAR also denied a Salah goal in the game. And, and the real shame about that was Firmino's pass because it was absolutely exceptional. I mean, if, if that goal had actually stood, obviously it was a, a fraction, like a millimetre offside. But the pass from Firmino is just top, top draw. Um, what, what about the, the game of, as a whole side, just in terms of taking a point away from it? Liverpool went top momentarily before Tottenham took it back. Yeah. Uh, will it be one they'll look back on and think, oh, could have been yeah, different? I think naturally they will, but I don't think they're going to be able to look back on it too too much because of the, the, the flow of games coming up. Um, I mean, I, I thought the second half, I thought they managed the game really well. I thought it was a much better second mm. half performance as soon as Jordan Henderson came on. Um, and I think they should have won the game, really. I mean, Brighton didn't offer that a great deal in the, in the second half. They had obviously a few chances in the first half. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to, when you concede a goal in the last minute, uh, and, and even if you got a draw, it feels like a defeat. I know it's a cliche, but I think the players will feel that way, won't they? So it's two points dropped for me. What about the fact, James, that it's four Premier League away games without a win? So you'd have to go back to the Chelsea game, wouldn't you, for a win on the road? 
Yeah, and I, and I think you know I think you can you can probably make the stat look probably even worse if you take in the run into last season as well with some of the some of the results on their travels. Then I I don't think I don't think there's a any particular issue there. I mean Liverpool played very well. What was the previous away Premier League game? Man City, you know that was. I don't think there was anything anything wrong there. The Merseyside derby again controversy should really. Of um, you know they were they were robbed really that that day and then obviously the the, the debacle at, at Villa, um, we don't need to to go over that. So no, I, I don't. I, I think I just think Saturday was so close to being exactly what Klopp probably would have hoped it would be, which was a real scrappy, dogged one nil where we're not talking about great fluency or anything, but you know again the mentality of this team to to grind out results and um you know as it was they were they were pretty cruelly denied that in the you know in the in the fashion of the the late equalizer but um but no i think the other, the other thing that struck me watching that game was again the difference that jordan henderson makes this liverpool team because you know that that, that first half performance was it was pretty lifeless which again not a huge surprise probably given the the lack of legs in midfield and you know milner and winaldum have played a lot of football recently but yeah, the introduction to Henderson for that second half, you know, it was it just seemed to lift everyone. And you know, again, we it's just a shame that, but for the VAR and controversies and and, and the late equaliser, we'd be talking as well about another piece of individual brilliance from Diogo Jota because um, in a in a scrappy game, you know, with not an awful lot of quality on show, you know, he lit, he lit the place up with that opening goal. Yeah, so he's on um, nine goals in fourteen games for Liverpool in all competitions. Si. Eight in his last eight. You sort of think it it would stop at some point, but he looks as confident as ever. Well, I, I think that the nature of the goal sort of reflects his impact on the team and sort of what what he's bringing to the team at the moment. Because, as James said, it was it was a scrappy game, and even leading up to that that moment, it, you couldn't see a moment of class necessarily winning it for Liverpool. You know, you could might have been a a ball over the top or a set piece. But obviously he managed to bring a bit of calm to the to the play and able to take it past a couple of defenders and slot it past the goalkeeper. And it, it was a fair sort of good bit of sort of calm play at the top end of the pitch that Liverpool had produced. So he's been an incredible signing and, and definitely put Liverpool in a, in a really reasonable position. I know it sort of doesn't feel like that at the moment because of all the injuries and obviously a couple of couple of setbacks with, with um certain results, but Liverpool are still in a really good position in the league and he, he's been central to that. You know, his goals have been been really important at the start of the season. And as, as you said, I mean, I, I think I think it's going to be interesting, to, really interesting to see how Klopp deals with that because I think I said it a few weeks ago, providing Liverpool don't get any injuries at the top end of the pitch and then the goalkeeper, they might be all right this season, but I just didn't expect every other player more or less to get an injury in that period. So I might have to revise what I said. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot. Probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, thanks for listening, everyone out there. This is the Red Agenda with The Athletic. Uh, James Pearce, Simon Hughes, myself, Steve Hothersall. And let's go on to the red zone because there's an awful lot of planning going on behind the scenes to choose which players are going to be perfectly prepared to play different teams. And the, the turnover so quick. So you've looked into this, James. Undoubtedly, more changes in personnel being planned for Tuesday's visit of Ajax. How are the coaching staff dealing with such unusual circumstances here? Yeah, well, I think it's fair to say that you know this season, probably more than ever, the 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 medical and and sports science department at Liverpool are um, are having a, a big say in terms of team selection. Um, you know, Klopp is 
is having to kind of really take on board every every bit of information that that um, that they give him in terms of the array of data that they collect because um, you know certainly the feeling is Liverpool's injury list you know might be horrendous but it would be it would be considerably worse if um, if they didn't keep on making making these changes I think what was it five for the midweek game last week and I think it was six for the game at Brighton you know wouldn't surprise me if we see a similar number ahead of Ajax on um, on Tuesday night so uh, so yeah the, you know the red zone is the kind of terminant terminology they use when you know a player they think is is kind of high risk in terms of um, the, the danger is that he will pick up an injury if he, he plays again in in the next game so um so that's so that's Joel Matip isn't it that's case in point yeah. plays two games and you yeah. sort of think having seen him for the past couple of years he rarely plays more than a couple of games consecutively yeah and, and I think the thing with Matt Matip is it shows that it's that there's no kind of strict criteria that you use across the board because of course you know other players you know can play three games in a week without it being you know a massive issue but yeah yeah Matip clearly on the weekend Liverpool were adamant there was no injury issue it was just a case of managing his minutes because you, know, you only have to look at the muscle injuries he's had in recent years to to think that it's you know highly unlikely we're going to be see him making three starts in the space of six or seven days so um so yeah you know a whole host of measurements taken from you know heart rate during training to you know all the physical output data they get from each player in in training sessions at Kirby and during matches and then you know if anything out of the ordinary you know jumps out then that you know of course then they they check players for their you know mobility you know jump ability isometric strength you know it, all of this is designed to pick up you know subtle signs of fatigue and you know test saliva to give them a, a fuller picture as well and from the from the people I spoke to about how important you know individual players input is as well in terms of you know I think Klopp said recently that the, the danger is that that a player will always tell you he's fine and yeah I, you know of course I can play but there is a culture of openness at the club where they are really encouraged to you know to, to be brutally honest about you know whether they've got soreness or tightness and and so all of that is you know mixed in with the the data that they collect to to try and make informed decisions and um you know, I, th- I think that was why we only Jordan, Jordan Henderson was only brought on for the second half at Brighton because, you know, if you've been out for a period and you're still building up y- your training rhythm, you know, you are regarded as you are regarded as higher risk. And you know, similarly, if if you've been piling on the minutes, you know, and there's there's a real chance of a of a muscle problem. And you know, clearly, it's not foolproof. We see that with you know James Milner at the weekend. You know, a third start in the space of six days. And, and limping off with a with a hamstring problem, but um, you know I think as as well I think it shows that even even when some players are in the red zone, you know the just the dynamics around team selection means that you have to keep pushing them through because um, you know depending on the importance of the game and availability in a particular position, because clearly if if Klopp had had more midfield options on the weekend, then um, he would have given Milner a breather. Yeah, the staff doing as much as they can to, to try and prevent injury. You, you can do as much analysis as you want, but as James just said, Si, you can't really preempt some of these injuries. And, and Milner's case is imp- so important, isn't he? So versatile, important cog in the side. But if you play three games in a week, your risk's up there, isn't it? And if you get a hamstring injury, well, it's not a quick comeback. Obviously, people have criticised Clough for saying, well... You shouldn't be playing him. You know, three games in a week, he's 34 years old, the risks are there, but he hasn't really had any other option given all the other injuries in, in that area of the pitch that he plays, both obviously a full-back and in midfield. So he's sort of been forced into that position. I suppose you could say, well, we'll put one of the kids in, but then there's obviously risks attached to that decision as well. So it's obviously a decision that, that's backfired. But yeah, I mean, he's he's had a good season so far. Another key player, as you said, Steve. They, they can't you can't legislate for some of the stuff that's happened. I mean, Van Dyke, it, it, that, that 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 that's obviously an incredible situation. And there's been obviously other injuries, obviously to Thiago, which is one of the great mysteries at the moment. What what's happening to him? We can't seem to find out when he's going to be back because. It's it's been such a shame for him because he, he obviously in the games that he's played he's he's looked in, you know fantastic can't wait to see him again but the, the signs are that he's not going to play against Ajax so we'll have to wait with him and then um, but we know why he got injured that was another you know sort of an impact sort of injury it's not being a muscle injury but I, I think the nature of the way Liverpool play and the relentlessness of of the team as well I, I'd, I'd be interested to know I suppose from inside the club how. 
whether that increases the possibility of that happening, you know, the muscle injuries increase because of the, the energy that the players are supposed to expend when they are playing. So um, who knows? It might prompt Jurgen Klopp to think a bit differently about how Liverpool get through this period because, as I've said before, they just can't afford any more injuries. Um, I think when you're, you're sort of getting down to the number of players that they've got now, it means that those players are going to have to play even more games and it increases the number of injuries that they might have as well. So it's a really critical situation at the moment. Well, you call it this period, side, but when's it actually going to end? <laughs> because actually, given the games are pretty much static mm-hmm. in terms of the relentless nature, they're pretty much what we've been through for the last two months. Mm. What's to say that Liverpool don't just keep having these injuries? Well, that's why that's why I think Jurgen Klopp said about you know, and about injuries at the end of the season, are they going to have a team to field? I mean, that that might sound like classic Jürgen Klopp, I suppose. You know, he uses exaggeration as a tool sometimes, but I can see his point again. It goes back to the discussion at the beginning. They've essentially had to play two Christmas periods back-to-back at the start of the season, you know, leading up to Christmas. So because of the number of games and the, 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 the short periods between those games. Now, I know a lot of people will understandably make the point that, Oh well, you know that 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 when you're in the Champions League, that's what you're expected to do. But it does seem to me that 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 there haven't been any allowances made for for the pandemic, and that's just the point that Jurgen Klopp's trying to make. As I say, I don't agree with everything that he says, and sometimes with the way he makes the points. But I think the point that he makes about the pandemic and having having to footballers having to play so many games in a short period of time, it doesn't really feel like it's being thought out. It feels to me like, oh, well, they paid a lot of money. They should just be playing football anyway. This is the Red Agenda. Don't forget our special Black Friday offer is up and running until Friday the 4th of December on The Athletic. You can get a subscription for our best ever price, just a pound a month for 12 months. You can cancel at any time. Go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod and pay £1 a month for 12 months and access unrivaled coverage of Liverpool and the Premier League. This offer is for new subscribers only. Right, so we were talking about Thiago there and, and Simon says his injury is sort of shrouded in mystery at the moment. Um, there, there is obviously a, a connection then, you you would think, in terms of what's going to happen with Gino Wijnaldum and whether Thiago is the man that eventually, you know, just replaces a hole that might be there if Genie leaves once the transfer window opens and he signs some sort of pre-contract elsewhere. What What is the situation with Genie? And then how important does Thiago become in all this, uh, James? Well, I think we're pretty much where, where we've been for, for the last 12 months with it, in that there isn't an agreement you know, over an extension. And unless either party shifts significantly, then... Everything points to a, a parting of the ways at the end of the season, which I, you know, I think would be a, a massive shame for someone of his caliber. You know, of course, it's only what just over a month until the January window opens, and when Aldum could, you know, quite, you know, he'd be within his rights to sign a pre-contract agreement with a with a club abroad. Um, you know, Klopp was asked about it last week. He was, you know, as you'd imagine, with a contract situation was pretty cagey, but you know, he reiterated that, um, you know, he wants Wijnaldum to stay. That he hadn't given up hope, but I think you know I, I I'm struggling to think of a situation like this, which is it, it's got this close to the end of the contract and has ended with the player signing an extension because you know a number of players have left Liverpool as you know, high profile players have left as free agents in recent years. I mean you know, Klopp actually you know brought it up himself you know the parallels to Emre Chan in terms of he said you know we had it with Emre Chan where he gave absolutely everything until the last day of his contract and I expect Genie Wijnaldum to do the same and of course you know Chan went went for nothing after those talks broke down because he he was keen on you know, his representative wanted a release clause that Liverpool wouldn't agree to and then he got this eye-watering offer from Juventus that led to him leaving what two and a half years ago and then you know I think the following summer you had Sturridge and Moreno going as free agents, of course, at the back end of last season, Lalana, But I don't think any of those players were quite as important to Klopp as as Wijnaldum, because I think you only have to look at, you know, I think only Andy Robertson has played more Premier League minutes than him so far this season. You know, he's, he's absolutely integral and, you know, he ticks every box for Klopp, doesn't he, in terms of, you know, he's an absolute model professional, you know, low maintenance, selfless team man, you know, tactically so clever, incredibly versatile with... You know, when you think of all the different roles he's played, you know, being at Brighton on the weekend reminded me of the trip down there when when Alden was playing centre half. He played centre forward in the new Camp. You know, 
holding role for Liverpool in recent weeks, playing a bit further forward in midfield as well. And, you know, for Holland, even further forward where he's got an unbelievable goal scoring record. So, um, do you know what? It's a it's a tricky situation because I, and I, I again I can see it from both sides because Liverpool don't make a habit of dishing out lucrative long extensions to players over the age of thirty. Um, you know, he, he turned thirty a few weeks back, and the argument would be that you know his, his output probably will decline over the next few years, and and that money would probably be better spent investing in a in a younger player but I, I still hope I, I still cling to a glimmer of hope that a compromise can be achieved because you know I know Barcelona are desperate to take Wijnaldum on a free next summer I think Koeman would have got the deal done last summer if um if he'd had the money to be able to do it but you know I, I think that makes it probably a bit more complex for Wijnaldum at the moment as well because is Barcelona a step up from Liverpool at the moment you know I, I don't think it is and there's a lot of turmoil there there's no guarantees that Koeman who he's obviously got a very close relationship with, even be in charge there um, come next season. So, um, yeah, the player's got a lot to think about. And I think the club as well, because, um, you know, the, the people I spoke to last week said it was it was fluid and that all the parties were still relaxed at the moment with all options open. But um, clearly, the closer we get to the end of that contract, I think the, the chances of him staying get more and more remote. The, the reason I sort of preempted the question with Thiago's situation is he, he's 29, side, so that... They're not too far apart in age, are they? Thiago's had a, a checkered history with injury. Gini Wijnaldum hasn't really. Mm. So what, what, is, what is the thinking when you're thinking about... You know, because Thiago's been handed a, a contract of several years. Does Gini mm. Wijnaldum just want too much? James touched on it in his, in his piece last week. It, the, I think it's the, the length of the contract that he's after. Thiago is six months younger than Wijnaldum as well. So yeah, I think I think it might come down to that, really. I mean, I, I wrote last wrote about this at the start of the year, and he is obviously a high-ranking player within within the dressing room. He's he's one of the top captains, one of the four captains that the, obviously he's highly regarded within the dressing room because the players voted for him. But he he obviously arrived at the, he was one of the first players at the club to arrive. So I got the impression it's it's not a money decision, but I, I wonder whether the offer that he had reflects his status within the club as well. That was sort of the impression that I got, that there's a few question marks around that issue. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that conversation. I suppose in relation to um, Thiago, does it eliminate the discussion about his age to some degree? I mean, he's he's got it all to prove, Thiago. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of excitement around, around him, but he needs to get back on the pitch sooner or later, or at least the club needs to clarify exactly what's going on. I, I know the club have sort of... Mm. At the last sort of six, twelve, eighteen months, they, they, they sort of sometimes quite vague about what's happening. But it, it is quite unusual that he's he's missed so much football over the last five or six weeks. I suppose it's up to us as journalists to try and find out. <laughs> Come on, get digging. Um, yeah. So question mark over question mark over Divock Origi as well, James. He's not really played much footy, has he? No. I mean, I'd, I, I almost feel loath to completely write Divock Origi off because it feels like that I've written that piece three or four times before where you think, oh, well, you know, it's, he's not coming back from this. I mean, you, that, you know, the, the season that ended, you know, if you'd said to me this time of, of the season in, in the season that ended with him scoring the, uh, the clinching goal in the champions league final, that that would happen, you know, you'd, you'd have, you'd have got laughed at, you know, because he, he barely featured, did he in the first half of that season before you know, Pickford dropped that clanger and he, he took full advantage deep into stoppage time. But um, it does feel like, it's a long way back for Origi now, I think, because I think even last season, certainly in, you know for for a large chunk of the season, he was almost the the backup option, wasn't he? Bringing off, you know, if if one of the front three needed a breather or Klopp needed something different up top, you know, bring on Origi for the last twenty twenty five minutes. A lot of his, you know, I think, probably two thirds of his forty odd appearances last season were were as a substitute. But clearly, he's now no longer that Plan B because you know Liverpool splashed out the cash on Jota, who's been an absolute, you know, revelation, you know, and then obviously at the weekend, you know, he gave an opportunity to, to Minamino. So yeah, you do, he's, I, I really like Divock Origi. I mean, he's such a nice fella and he's an icon, isn't he, at Liverpool? You know, he, he's the kind of guy that, you know, if he walks into the sand and in 30 years time, he'll, you know, he, he won't, he, he's, he'll have about 27 pints lined up on the bar because, you know, Liverpool fans will forever be indebted to him for, 
the special moments that he's that he's given them. Um, but yeah, it does feel like maybe maybe that journey is is coming to an end. I'd, I'd be surprised if Liverpool let him go in January, just because for everything we've talked about, why on earth would you? You know, Liverpool have been quite lucky that probably the forward line's the one area so far that hasn't been depleted. So, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't say that Origi is no longer of any use to Liverpool because I still think he will play, you know, a significant number of games. But, yeah, I, I would be surprised if he was still at Liverpool next season. Uh, you're with the Red Agenda. It's your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Um, but we're go- it's the most important part of the show now. Simon gets to uh, spill his heart out about his beloved Marine. So, <laughs> second round of the FA Cup, it went into extra time, and on the 120th minute, they secured a 1-0 win over Haven't and Waterlooville. Who'd have thought it? Niall Cummings converting from close range. So, the high-class folk of Crosby, including Simon... We're absolutely ecstatic. Si, it's lovely though, isn't it? Well, yeah, we, again, we were talking just before we started recording and I, I sort of, what I enjoyed most really was, it might sound obvious, but seeing players celebrate a goal. I think I think in the pandemic, we've seen very few celebrations of or moments of hysteria. And even the Marine game yesterday against Havens and Waterlooville was played behind closed doors. There was, there was a handful of people inside the grounds, but... When uh, Niall Cummins scored the winner, which which came off his back, it was like the most beautifully crafted non-league <laughs> goal that you could. Im- I called yeah, it a header. Yeah, you, could, you could imagine, and he he completely lost his mind when that goal went in, and pylons on the on the pitch. It just reminded you of, of all the stuff that we've been missing out on, really. So, I, and I agree with James as well what he said earlier about the VAR because had VAR been in place in that game, he'd have ruled it out. And I don't think it does anybody any favours, not really, does it? Like, it, it it just would have been the most miserable way to end a football match. But instead, it's it's a way of ending a football match that everybody's going to remember. Um, and Marine deserve to win. I mean, it, it's an incredible story, really, that this season, for a number of reasons, obviously with the lockdown meaning that they can't play any league games over the last sort of month or so. But they very nearly got knocked out of the FA Cup in the first qualifying round. I'm not sure if there's the first qualifying round or the last preliminary round, which is the entry point of the competition. They were, they were, they were one nil down to the mighty Barnoldswick Town going into injury time with a man sent off and went through. And I remember thinking on that day, but it hasn't really happened, that sort of level of drama at a Marine game before. I wonder whether this season's going to be different. And it was just incredible. I mean, the, the one thing that I think it really showed as well, and I know sort of the football, there was a lot of tasty tackles going in and everything else, but Marina really organised team and knew exactly what they were going to do. And it, it wasn't just a classic case of sort of smash and grab non-league football. I, I thought, you know, I was quite impressed by the, the approach of the team and the the, uh, the the understanding from the manager to the opposition because... They've got a great manager there, Neil Young, who's been through the, a bit of a mill with Marine, having been suffered the first club's first relegation eighteen months ago, and he's really turned it round. So, yeah, let's see who they get in the next round. It's going to be interesting. You, you described it as behind closed doors, but actually, <laughs> um, it, it's not exactly supremely tight security around Rosset Park, <laughs> is it? And there's some great images of people sort of stuck on fences, yeah. or even just looking over their, their own back garden fence to, to well, check out what's happening. Obviously, <laughs> I know we've got a lot of listeners in, in the US, and uh, you know, just to, to give people a picture of what Rosset Park is like, I mean, Marine is, is a club based in Crosby, which is about five or six miles north of Liverpool city centre, uh, and, and the ground is three-sided, so... The ground, the, the the side of the ground where the camera was facing was pretty much reaching into people's living rooms while the game was going on. There was a a lady quaffing wine or or champagne. You could you could see her standing on a on a stool, leaning over the fence, watching the game. So that's it. And he added a level of atmosphere that you wouldn't you wouldn't normally get a, at a football ground. Um, but yeah, it's 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 to get to the third round. Of course, I mean, Marine have been to the third round of the FA Cup before. I think twenty. 27 years ago and, and they, they drew crew Alexandra at that at that stage knowing that whoever won that game will play Blackburn Rovers because the original side was was postponed and the manager at the time was a fellow called Roly Howard who was the longest serving manager in world football and he was Kenny Dalglish's window cleaner so <laughs> it avoided unfortunately Marine lost to crew and it meant that the um 
Kenny Dalglish didn't manage, didn't, didn't have to face his window cleaner in the next round. But I mean, imagine if they get Liverpool or Everton, it's just, I mean, the chances of that are pretty remote. I suspect they might end up getting Mansfield Town or somebody. But I think they'll fancy the chances if they get another non-league team, put it that way. There's a few non-league teams left. And I, I, I spoke to a couple of people at the club last mm-hmm. night and I got the impression that they weren't, that bothered about that prospect. I think if they were to get like a League Two or a League One club, it's not really the draw that you want. But if you get a non-league team, they've beaten four four non-league teams on uh, sorry four higher league teams on route to this to this stage. So you'd fancy the chances against against a team that might be one or two, maybe three levels above them. You're probably listening to this out there after the draw's been made. We hope Marine have got a biggie. Uh, look, so much to discuss this week. We haven't really got into a brand new article on The Athletic now, which is the secrets of how Liverpool scout. I think, James, if you give it the top line now, maybe we'll discuss it in a bit more depth next week. But what have you been looking at? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, I can't take much of the credit for this one. It was uh, it was, it was, was largely a Simon Hughes production. Um but um, it, yeah, it's basically, <laughs> I, 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 hopefully people will enjoy it because there's loads of interesting information in there and uh, and detail just just about how a giant club like Liverpool goes about scouting players and you know we we obviously always talk a lot about you know the the final decisions and the and the shortlists that are drawn up and the dynamic between Klopp and Edwards and, and Mike Gordon who are the you know the real three decision makers at the top of the tree but I think what probably doesn't get talked about or written about much is just that that global network of of scouts that you know Liverpool have you know, around twelve to fifteen dotted around the globe, um, and, and and just the, the huge amount of of research and, and work that goes into that you know on, on everything from you know not you know just a, not just a player's personal qualities, um, but you know how they adapt to different systems, you know different environments they play in, different styles of play, um, you know the, the amount of work that clock, uh, that scouts do on you know players personal lives and you know and, and how they've handled moving countries and, and dealing with different cultures and languages and just I think hopefully just building a picture in terms of you know this 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 unbelievable kind of database of of knowledge that that Liverpool have managed to build up over the years which I think has you know been absolutely integral we know you know the the importance of recruitment putting Liverpool back winning the the big prizes again but um but yeah hopefully it's something people will enjoy yeah we'll talk about it more next week when I've had a chance to read it Si um but uh until we get to that point uh enjoy your week of course Liverpool have got Ajax in the Champions League hope they go through to the next stage and uh the lads are putting some other great articles on this week to keep an eye on the athletic many thanks to James and to Simon and the red agenda returns in a week's time (laughs) 